0: All right. Good afternoon, everyone. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to Sunday service at New Philly Seaside. You know, it is the most beautiful campus yet at New Philly. Woo! Woo! Yeah. (laughs) Um, Actually, for those of you who are new to our church, back in 2010, Pastor Christian started a sermon series through the nine core values of our church. Um, And before I go on, I just want us to go through it. If you know these core values, please say it with me church plan team. <laughs> okay. Um, the first one is be extravagant in worship. Number two, freedom is for everyone. Number three, father the fatherless. Number four, be faithful in small things. Number five, the anointing flows from the top down. Number six, roll with the punches. Number seven, supernatural is natural. Number eight, Content for the kingdom, and then last one is, everybody, dream big. Yeah, thank you, Anna. <laughs> so here at Seaside, we actually started to preach again through these nine core values. And the reason is because, you know, we are three different campuses, but we are still one house. And that means that we share one identity as a house. So it's important in this year of increase to be firmly established in our foundation and in our identity as a house. Amen. So today I'm actually going to be preaching from our fourth core value, which is be faithful in small things. Everyone, can you say with me, be faithful in small things? Be faithful in small things. Yeah, good. Okay. So what's funny is actually um, in 2010, October of 2010, back at the on campus where I was serving, um, Pastor Christian preached this message, and I was the one who did the congregational prayer. I was the one who did the scripture reading back then, right? And now, two years later, I'm actually preaching the message. So God is good, right? You know, God does do amazing things um, in your life. So today we'll be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 28. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 19, 11 through 28. Uh, In New Philly, we use the English Standard Version. So if you if you plan on staying with us longer, then it would be a good idea to get an ESV Bible. Um, and I will read the odd number verses, and you will read the even. So I will start. Are we all there? <laughs> Sarah's there. Okay. So this is the parable of the ten minas. It's not minas. It's minas. Okay. <laughs> I know we all love Mina, but it's actually minas. Okay. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the minor from him and give it to the one who has a ten minus. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minus. For these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Amen. <laughs> it's kind of a scary last verse to say amen to. <laughs> okay. Um, so besides the parable of minas that we just read in Luke 19, verse 11 um, through 28, 27, excuse me, Jesus tells another similar parable in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And this parable is called the parable of the talents. And a lot of you, you know, you're probably familiar with this parable because it's preached quite often, you know, in the church about, you know, not bearing your talents, about using the gifts that God has given you. Um, and many people actually think that this parable of the talents is the same parable as the parable of the minas in Luke 19. But although it is similar, these two parables are um, they are quite different. So right now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take you through Um, Just some of the differences that we can see in these two parables. So are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number one. (laughs) Number one difference. In Luke chapter 19, it's a noble man who sets off on a journey. And when he returns, he returns having received a kingdom, meaning he returns as a king. But in Matthew chapter 25, it's just a man. It's not really given a position or a title, right? It's just a man who goes on a journey and then he returns. The second difference is that in Luke 19, the nobleman calls 10 of his servants. But in Matthew 25, only three servants are mentioned. Third difference is that in the parable of the minas, each servant is given one mina. So 10 minas total, right? One mina each. Um, And actually a mina, according to the ESV, is three months wages. I don't know why, but for me, I always thought it was like one coin, right? He just gives like one coin in each hand. But it's actually three months' wages. So, you know, if you earn like $2,000 a month or something, then a mina is about 6000 bucks, right? So it's not really a terribly small amount of money. But compared to what the nobleman had or what the king had in total, it is still a small amount. In Matthew 25, the man only calls, like I said, three of his servants. But he doesn't give the same amount of talents to each servant. He gives a different amount. And it says that he gives it according to their ability. So to one servant, he gives five. To another, he gives two. And to the last one, he gives one. And how much is a talent? A talent, according to the ESV Study Bible, again, it's about 20 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money, <laughs> right? So the man who received uh, five talents, he received 100 years worth of wages. I didn't bother to do how much money that was. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go there. But it's a lot, okay? It's a lot. It's definitely a lot more than one mina. Um, the last difference that I want to point out is that in Luke 19, the first servant, he comes back, you know, he comes and he's like, okay, I made a profit of 10 more minas, which is a profit of 1,000%. And then the second servant says, I made a profit of 5 more minas, which is 500% more. But in Matthew 25, the servants only make um, a prophet of 100%. So, you know, if you look through the scriptures, it, the differences continue, right? So although these two parables are very similar, it's very clear that Jesus preached two different parables, right? And not two different accounts of one parable. And whatever the case, the same message is conveyed through these two parables. And that's where we get our fourth core value, which is be faithful in small things. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, say you have to be faithful in small things. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because some of you have, haven't even met each other. <laughs> You're really telling them you have to be faithful in small things. <laughs> um, so like I was saying in Luke 19, you know, the nobleman, he goes on this journey and then returns. And before he goes on this journey, he's like, you have to do business. I'm giving you one minor. I want you to increase it. I want you to make a profit with it. And you see, when God gives you resources, he wants you to increase in it. And so when the nobleman comes back, he expected the servants to have made an increase. So he calls them to him, and he's like, show me what you have. And, you know, the first servant comes, and he's like, you know, I made 10 minus more. And, you know, if Pastor Caleb gave me a $1,000, and I made 10,000 more for him. I think he would be pretty pleased, right? Yes, Pastor Caleb. Yeah. So, you know, the increase that he made, the profit that he made was a considerable amount of money. And, and then like this servant, you know, he started off just handling one mina, but then what happens is the reward that he gets is that he gets 10 cities. He's entrusted with 10 cities. You know, it's like if I was given authority over Pusan, Masan, Ursan, you know, all the other sons, right? Like, I, I was given authority over all of these cities. And that's, you know, that's amazing. That is a decent reward. <laughs> and the second servant comes, and he made five minus more. And then the nobleman sets him over, five cities. But really, what was the key to their success? You know, what made them rise to that place of greater authority and greater responsibility? And we can see the secret in verse 17, where the nobleman, he says to his servant, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the same way in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, the master, you know, he commends the servant by saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Their faithfulness to the little that was given to them proved to their master that they could be entrusted with more. And in Luke 16.10, we read, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So this is like, you know, it's just a kingdom principle, right? Right? If you are faithful in the little that you have, then you will be entrusted with much because you prove that you can steward what was given to you. You know, um, I went through a whole season back in back in the days um, where I felt like I didn't have anything to offer. Like, I felt like I didn't even have a minor, right? Like, I was like, God, I don't have any talents. I can't sing, God. I can't dance, like. Mina, you know, I'm Asian, but I can't even play an instrument. Like, what am I good for? I really went through, like, this whole crisis where I really felt like I don't have anything, you know, to offer. I'm not that smart, God. I can't talk in front of people. I can't do this. I can't do that. And some of you may feel the same way where you feel like, Pastor, I don't even have three months worth of wages in my bank account right now. I got nothing to steward. You know, I'm, a, I'm in, like, a, the negatives right now. But let me just open your eyes a little bit to how much you really have, how much God has really blessed you with, right? You know, most of us here, we grew up in the middle as a middle-class citizen of a fairly wealthy country. Um, some of you here are from the U.S. or Canada or even Korea. Um, and most of you here are richer than about 80% of the world who lives on $10 or less every day. Most of you here, you have a college education. Um, like Pastor Caleb mentioned, yes, I do have a master's degree um, in Christian counseling. So some of you, you know, you have a you have a bachelor, some of you have master's, some of you maybe even a doctor, right? Um, and most of you, you don't have to worry about whether you're going to have clean drinking water today or, you know, tomorrow. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to have electricity, you know, the resources that are really in front of you are mind-boggling if you are, if you can open your eyes to it. There's, these are like educational resources, technological resources, social networking, like Facebook, you know, spiritual resources even. The very fact that you and I can worship here in freedom, that's amazing. You know, back up in, in North Korea right now, people are being persecuted for their faith. But here we have the option of choosing whether we want to come to church or not. And we cannot take these things for granted because once you start taking it for granted, you start treating it with contempt. But I'm not trying to make you thankful right now. I'm not like, yeah, you got to be thankful and be grateful. Yeah, you do, but that's not my point. Like what I want you to, you know, is right now for you to move beyond thankfulness to actually start stewarding what God has given you. It's receiving with thankfulness and stewarding with wisdom. And, you know, stewardship is not just taking what you have and keeping it. I just keep my $100 in my, under my pillow, right? No. Stewardship is about multiplication. You know, it's about taking what you have and multiplying it. You know, a lot of us here, we have big dreams. Now, I remember when I met um, Dan Humphrey right there in his hat and pink pants. Um, but I remember when I first met Dan I was having a conversation with him you know we were out evangelizing in a bar and you know one of the things I remember when talking to Dan was he was like talking about Steve Jobs and how he wanted to be the next CEO right (laughs) like like Steve Jobs and I was like man that's good like that's amazing and yeah you know at New Philly we encourage you to have big dreams it's our last core value dream big but you know, a lot of us, we have this dream of being the CEO of our own business and, and managing our own employees. But first, God wants to see whether you can manage your classroom as a teacher, you know, whether you can manage your students that God has entrusted to you. And some of you, you know, you may be looking at me preaching right now and be like, oh, you know, I just want to take that mic because I could preach so much better. Right? <laughs> You're like, I'm such an anointed communicator. I could, you know, really bring the word, like really bring the word, and you just want to take my mic right now, but, you know, if Pastor Caleb comes up to you and says, hey, can you, you know, take out the trash? And then you get offended. (laughs) It's like, why is he asking me to take out the trash? You know, why is he asking me to do this menial job when I'm so much more gifted? I'm not gifted in taking out the trash. You know, I'm gifted in speaking. And, and, or Anna, our sister right there, sitting there, and she's our service team leader, everybody. And she comes up to you and she says, hey, you want to join the service team? And then you're like, uh, no. <laughs> you know, or when she asks you to come on time to service team, you know, you don't come. You don't show up or you don't even come on time. But God is looking at these things. You know, he's looking at whether you will be faithful in the very little tasks that he gives you. And here at New Philly, we recognize your anointing, we recognize your gifting, we celebrate it. We celebrate your dreams. We want you guys to fulfill your destinies. But your gifting and your talents, your anointing, it'll never be valued above your faithfulness and your character. So even if you can heal and prophesy, like Todd White, if you guys don't know him, he's a famous evangelist. Uh, even if you can, you know, you know, lead worship, like is amazing. Chris Kualala? (laughs) I don't know how to say his name. Anyways, so So you will not be promoted into that position of leadership um, unless you've proven yourself to be faithful in the very little things. And this isn't because Pastor Christian or the leaders of the house are insecure. You know, we're not scared that you're going to take the mic from us. But it really is for your sake. It's because we, before you are released into your gifting, we want you to grow in the character that will be able to sustain it. You know what happens if you're released into your gifting prematurely? What happens if a baby is born prematurely? You know, it's very dangerous. It threatens your life. And the same way when you are released into your gifting, you're released into that place where you know, you're going for your destiny too fast, you know, it can actually ruin you. Um, right now, I just want to talk about a brother uh, who actually exemplified for me just uh, being faithful in small things. And he's a very noble man <laughs> because his name is Noble Samignon, like mira says. But it's actually not Samignon, it's uh, Sam- Saminen. Yeah, yes, I got it. Okay. So, yeah, Noble Saminen, he's right there. And he's actually our church plant team member. Um, And our brother, Noble, he started coming out to New Philadelphia back in our Itaewon church plant days. You know, we planted a church in the Itaewon area of Seoul in April of 2010. And Noble started to come out a couple months after that. And, you know, we were meeting at this bar called King Bar on Hooker Hill. And this King Bar, this King Bar was not very kingly. It was actually very dark and dirty and smelly. Like this is like a mansion compared to it, right? You guys have to be thankful, really. Like when we were at King Bar, it was pretty pretty yeah, bad. But you know, after every service, what we had to do is we had to um like take the chairs and tables and rearrange them so that they can open up for business, right? To actually be a bar. And I remember one day, you know, I was doing what we were doing. You know, we were just moving all the chairs. And these chairs are not like these red uh, swivel chairs that we had. That's nice. It's like these huge black chairs that are really heavy. And I looked to my side and I see this random white guy. And he's like moving all these chairs. And I was like, who is this, right? Like, I don't think any of us asked him to do anything like that. But he was already on it. He was moving these chairs. He was taking out the trash. You know, he was going for it. And after that, um, Noble just helped out our team a lot. And, you know, he wasn't even on service team. I don't think there was a service team back then. But, you know, he was going above and beyond what was required of him. And then, um, you know, as Eton campus grew, we're like, okay, we need to find a service team leader. We needed to find a service team leader. And the first person that the pastors thought about was noble it was like it just made sense right and the reason why is because he had already proven that he could be faithful in the small things and you know for noble to come to busan that made sense too right because he had already proven that he could be faithful in the small things You know, when we look at, like, people um, of amazing character and anointing, um, like Noble or Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron, who are our spiritual father and mother of the house. When we look at these amazing men and women in the Bible, like Moses, David, Joshua, and, you know, Paul, you know, it's easy to just focus on their victories. It's easy to just focus on their anointing. You know, when you look at Moses, you're like, man, he parted the Red Sea. He delivered the Israelites, you know, by these amazing signs and wonders. You know, when they came out of Egypt, he led them through the wilderness, you know, for 40 years. You know, even when they were stubborn and rebellious, he was their mediator. He was their intercessor. And it's easy to focus on that. But, you know, we forget that Moses spent 40 years tending a flock of sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. Before God ever called him from the burning bush. 40 years of preparation. 40 years where God was training him in the wilderness before he became a shepherd over the Israelites. A lot of us, we want the promotion right away. We want to fly, you know, we want to, like I was, you know, singing earlier, touch the sky. <laughs> we want to soar. But you know what? God wants to use a man or woman of God mightily. He always trains them and develops their character in the hidden place. So in the Bible, you see that God is never anxious about releasing people into their calling and their destinies. He's not worried about it. He takes his time. Like, he really takes his time. Sometimes you're like, man, he's so slow. But, you know, God is never slow. And, you know, even Jesus, he started his ministry in his 30s. David was, you know, he was anointed as king by Samuel. But it was 20 years or more later that he actually rose to the position of king. So he's not worried about, you know, when he's going to use you. God is always more concerned about who you are, who you're becoming, and he's always more concerned about your relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, quick promotions lead to quick results. But in order for your life to have lasting impact, God needs to first develop you in the hidden place. You know, you cannot expect God to promote you to a place of authority and power like King David without first learning how to be faithful in the hidden place like he was when he was tending sheep. You know, you cannot expect to be a Moses who delivers a whole nation. I know some of you have dreams about going to North Korea and church planting there. But, you know, before you do that, God is saying, I put these few people here under you. How are you going to tend to them? How are you going to shepherd them? Are you tending to them with my father's heart? You know, you cannot expect success and favor that Joseph experienced in your workplace without first exhibiting a spirit of excellence wherever you are placed. Joseph exhibited that spirit of excellence in the prison, you know, wherever you are placed. So now you're thinking, okay, got it, got it. I'm going to be faithful in those small things. So what? Um. But I want us to go a little deeper into what it you know what is it that drives us to be faithful? What is the key to faithfulness? And you know at the very heart and core of your faithfulness is your faith. In the word faithfulness, everybody, you can see the word faith, fullness, full of faithfulness. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And you're like, I don't understand what faith has to do with, like, taking out the trash and being on time for service team, right? Um, What does that have anything to do with that? Let me just read another verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Actually, why don't we turn there? Guys, turn to 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. If you're there, say amen. Roy was first. (laughs) Okay. Although I heard only three people, it's okay. I'm going to move on. Okay. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Your faithfulness in small things is first of all driven by your faith that he exists, number one, right? And number two, your faithfulness is driven by the expectation that he rewards you for your faithfulness. Did you know that God is a rewarder? Did you know that God loves to reward you? He doesn't just give you free gifts, but he rewards you for your good works. He rewards you when you tithe faithfully. He rewards you when you take out that trash with joy. He is a rewarder. He wants to reward you. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to overflow your cup. You know, um, sometimes when we tithe, we tithe for the wrong reasons. We're like, oh man, I have to tithe if I want to be a member. I have to tithe if I want to avoid the awkward confrontations that we talked about, you know, in the membership pledge. You know, I have to tithe if I don't want to get that curse on me. But that motivation is a fear-filled motivation. But when you tithe, and you tithe knowing that God is Jehovah Jireh, you tithe knowing that you depend on him for your um, livelihood, and you tithe knowing knowing his goodness, knowing that he's a good father. And when that happens, God will chase you down with financial blessings. He will love to reward you. know, a lot of times we have, um, difficulty with our quiet times. I've noticed that, you know, when I'm, um, you know, as a community care pastor, some people come to me about quiet times and some of us have, you know, difficulty really finding the time or the motivation to do it faithfully, right? But I really believe that sometimes it's because we don't see it as rewarding. You know, sometimes we, you know, we go before the Lord with no expectation that he's going to come meet us. We go before the Lord with no expectation that he's going to reward us for our faithfulness. So when we go to the Lord, there's no expectation in our hearts. There's only a sense of duty. But you know what? God wants to encounter you. He wants to touch you. He wants to pour out his presence in your quiet time with you. But because you have no faith in the rewards, the rewarding presence of God, you become faithless and you don't become faithful in your time with the Lord. Uh, Brothers and sisters, it's okay to expect reward. I mean, it's not just okay. It's not just condoned in the Bible like, oh yeah, I guess, you know. It's not just encouraged even. The verse that we just read says, you must believe that he rewards you when you seek him. It's a command. It's necessary in the equation of faith. It's necessary in order for you to be faithful you know, the religious spirit says that you shouldn't expect rewards from God. And by religious spirit, you know, I mean having a form of godliness but denying the power. Denying the power of the Holy Spirit. And the religious spirit says you shouldn't expect rewards. You know, when you do bad, uh, expect punishment. Because God's up there and he has this rod and he's going to, you know, hit you over the head with it. But if you do good, don't you dare expect reward. Because that's a given. Of course you should do good, right? And so we, we live this life with no expectation of the rewards of God. And the religious spirit says that the holier you are, the less you should desire anything from God, and the more you should desire to give to God. You know, if you desire anything back from God, then the lie is, you're being selfish. You're not being selfless, you're being selfish. But can I just say, selflessness is not about expecting nothing for yourself. Selflessness is about being so filled with the goodness of God. Being so assured of His abundance. That even when you give all, you're okay. Because you've already gained everything. And there's no loss in the Lord. There is no lack in the Lord. That is selflessness. You see, the very definition of faith that we just read in Hebrews, it necessitates a faithfulness that is motivated by looking forward to the rewards of God and the understanding of God as rewarder. Um, when I uh, grew up, I grew up with a father who wasn't very, uh, <laughs> you know, he was a Korean father and he had a lot of temper issues, right? So I had this image of the father as very angry, scary, distant, um, not a very loving you know kind compassionate father and a lot of us you know we've grown up with different fathers and we have an image of the father um, each of us we carry a different image of the father and some of us we see god the father as like a slave master you know like all he wants to do is just is just use you right and all he wants to do is just take from you. He doesn't give you anything. He just takes from you all the time. All he wants is your time. All he wants is your money. All he wants is, you know, your service. But, you know, he is a good father. God is a good father, and he is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. You know, even as i um, I'm a teacher right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a teacher right now, and I actually never had a um, full-time teaching job until this year. And I discovered that children really love candy. <laughs> and they really love rewards. Um, so I, I carry around candy as like a reward, you know? And two of my um, sixth grade boys, they really wanted candy so much that they went down on their knees and were like, teacher, you know? Can you give me candy? And I just, I was like, hold on, hold on. Let me get my camera. <laughs> I was like, So I took a picture of them, but I actually didn't end up giving them candy, unfortunately, <laughs> But um, children just love, they're just naturally drawn to rewards. You know, as a father, as a mother, when you have your own children, you would want to reward your kids. When they do something good, they clean their room, you're like, you know, you can watch TV for X amount of time. Or, you know, you give them rewards. It's a natural desire. And how much more do you think the Lord wants to reward you? You know, God is saying to you, you know, you need to believe that I'm faithful to reward you. You must believe that I'm a God who rewards your fasting, who rewards your prayers in the secret place. There's nothing wrong about rewards, you know. It's in the very nature of God as Father. Your faithfulness, brothers and sisters, is dependent on your faith in the goodness of God as the one who is faithful to reward you. So what's the opposite of faithfulness? Now, the opposite of faithfulness, if you read in the parables, um, the last servant in the parable of the talents, when he comes to the master and he has nothing to offer, nothing that he made, what does the master call him? Does anybody remember? You slothful and wicked servant. You slothful and wicked servant. In other words, you lazy and wicked servant. See, the, the servants who actually made a profit, he looked at them and he said, "Well done, good and faithful servant." But instead of saying good to the servant who made no profit, he said, "You wicked." And instead of saying faithful, he said slothful or lazy. So the opposite of faithfulness, according to the parables that we just read, is laziness. But a lot of us we don't you know we don't equate laziness with wickedness. Now, if I spend all my time on the couch drinking Coke and eating chips, watching movies, and I didn't do anything constructive with my life, you know, maybe you would be like, hey, Lydia, I think you should be a little more disciplined, you know, actually get a job, do something. But, you know, you wouldn't say like, oh, you wicked girl. You know, you would not say that. But, clearly, here in God's Word, He is saying that laziness is wickedness. And the reason is this. You know, if faith is at the heart of faithfulness, then at the heart of laziness is a lack of faith. The heart of laziness is fear. In other words, laziness is wickedness because it is rooted in faithlessness. And the Word of God says that whatever is not of faith is sin. Let me say that one more time. Laziness is rooted in fear. It's not genetics, guys. It's not like, you know, my dad was lazy. And my granddad was lazy. Like, you know, I, I'm just born lazy. No, you're not born lazy. Okay? Laziness is not even a lack of discipline, it's not just a character flaw, it's a spiritual issue. It's because you are oppressed by fear. You know, what happens when you have fear in your heart? Now, I'm really scared of bugs. Um, I think most girls are you're a guy and you're not scared of bugs imagine like a lion or something right but let's say you come across a bug or a lion okay and you're just freaked out like what would you do there's i think two responses one you can run or two you freeze okay you see when you experience intense fear you either become paralyzed or you become overly active so for those of you who become overly active it's probably that you're struggling with perfectionism now you're so driven, but you're driven by the wrong things. You're driven to excel, not because of the spirit of excellence, but because of fear. But back to laziness. Laziness is paralysis in your life because of the spirit of fear. Let me explain a bit more. You guys, you guys with me? Okay. In Luke 19, the lazy servant, he comes to the master and he said, Lord, Here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And in Matthew 25, the lazy and wicked servant says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. In both parables, the servants are saying, Master, I didn't steward what you gave me because I know you are a harsh man. You are a hard man. And so I was afraid. Instead of believing in a generous and loving God who rewards you for your faith, many of us live in fear, afraid of God who is in your mind, And the image of God that you have is he's a harsh man. He's a hard man. All he does is want to take from me. All he does is punish me if I do wrong, but never reward me when I do good. And so rather than faith, these two servants, they were filled with fear. They were afraid. And that fear led them to become lazy, led them to bury their talents, and to become unfaithful. Their fear paralyzed them from taking what they had, the opportunities that were given to them, the gifts that were given to them, and multiplying it and stewarding it. Now I don't know why I wrote this example here, but do um, you guys know a, a guy named Antoine Dotson? <laughs> hide your kids, hide your wife. <laughs> you guys know that it's this man um, in the pro- he was living in the projects of Alabama. And then, you know, there was this incident where this man um, climbed through the window or something and tried to rape his sister. And then he was interviewed, and then, you know, he became really famous because just of the flamboyant way that he was, like, talking. And then he actually, like, I think recorded a song um, with it. And it became, like, it was, like, on the top 100 of Billboard charts and something like that, right? But basically the lyrics is, like, hide your kids, hide your wife. You know, he's climbing in your windows, he's snatching people up. You see, when there's fear, you start to hide things. You start to hide even the things that are good. You hide things um, because you're afraid that it's going to be taken from you. You see, the greatest opposition to your faithfulness and the root of your unfaithfulness and your laziness is fear. And what is fear? No, fear is essentially is believing more in the devil than in God. It's a twisted understanding of God's character and you're misattributing mis- mis- attributing, um, the devil's character as, as, the, as someone who steals, kills, and destroys to God. You know, when God is the one who gives life and gives life abundant, you think that he's the God who steals, kills, and destroys you. Um, I used to be afraid that if I surrendered everything, that I would be a martyr. And then, you know, Pastor JM, who's our um one of the pastors in the Eton campus, he was like, Martyrdom is a calling. And then I was like, Oh man, that's not my calling. Thank you, Lord. You know, like but I used to be genuinely afraid that if I gave everything that I would be martyred. And in some of us, you know, we have that fear, like, what if I give up everything? What if I surrender everything? Like Anthony was um he was uh singing, you know, like giving it all up, right? Like, what if I do that? What if he sends me to Africa? What is? What if he sends me on a church plant somewhere? And And so you become afraid of letting go of different things in your life, different habits, different crutches, and you don't have the faith that God is more than enough that he can satisfy you. And, you know, this is what Pastor Benjamin, who's the spiritual mentor of Pastor Christian, says he calls it hard man theology. God is a hard man. He wants to steal all my joy. No? You know, some of you, you're you're not afraid of what God can do. But you're afraid of what his body can do. You're afraid of the church. Instead of a hard man theology, you have like a hard church theology. You're afraid that if you join this church, your leaders are just going to use you and abuse you. You know, all they want is my time. They want me to come out to Sunday swim. They want me to come out to Friday fire. They want me to go out and evangelize. What is, when will this end? You know, and you have this mentality that the servant did. The church is hard. The church exploits. They want my service. They want my money. Why are they asking me if you're a tithe? But really at the bottom of it is that you don't see the rewards in it. So you just keep to yourself, you know. You just become a attendee for the rest of your life, you know. And I recognize that some of you have been genuinely hurt by the church, um, but God does not want you to remain in that place. He wants you to be healed by His perfect love, and oftentimes that perfect love is actually demonstrated by His body. He wants you to. He wants you to know that there's a reward for you here. Here in New Philadelphia Church, brothers and sisters, there is a reward for you here. There is an inheritance for you here in this house that God wants you to claim. You know, he's not asking you to, to become more involved just because, you know, he wants your service and because, you know, we need people to take out the trash and do all these things. But he wants you to know that there is a reward for you here in this place. There is increase for you here in this house if you learn to claim the inheritance that you have here. Now some of you are afraid that, you know, the assignment that your boss gives you, you're afraid of failure. You have the fear of failure, right? So you don't even try to excel. You become lazy at your work. You're known as the person that exists but doesn't exist. You know, you just get by and you just stay under the radar. Or you have a fear of rejection. Maybe you want to be friends with Anna. I pick on Anna a lot because she's my roommate. Um, maybe you want to be friends with her. You're like, oh, she seems like a cool girl. I just want to get to know her. But you're just afraid. What if Anna doesn't like me? What if Anna gives me the, you know, hand or, you know, she thinks I'm boring or something, you know? And so you don't even approach her. You know, you don't even say hi to her because you're afraid. This is a fear of Rejection. And the fear of rejection will prevent you from stewarding the relationships that God has placed before you. You see, when there's fear, what happens is you start to play it safe. Right? When there's fear, the first thing you think about is your safety. When there's fear, we would rather be like a mina hidden in the ground than a city that on a hill that cannot be hidden, which we are called to. When there's fear, your primary concern, like I said, is your safety. So you're always looking back over your shoulders rather than looking forward in faith and moving forward in faith. So you become like a safe Christian, right? You come to church on Sunday, you do, you know, what you, what you, you know, think that you should do as a Christian. You do your QTs or you have good morals, you know, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't have sex before marriage. You know, all those things, you keep that and your primary goal is to survive. I just want to survive. When I get to heaven, that's when I really start living. But for my time here on earth, I'm just going to survive. Um, sorry to pop, pop your bubble, but it's not okay to live a fruitless or powerless life. The word of God says that God has not given us as a spirit of fear, First Timothy 3.7, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. That means that the fear that is holding you back right now is not from the Lord, it's from the enemy. You know, the devil may not be able to destroy your faith to the point that you deny God's existence, but he can destroy your faith to the point where you deny the power of God in your life, where all you become is a powerless and faithless Christian. But God's desire for you, brothers and sisters, is that you may be living lives filled with faith. And when you live a life filled with faith, you become a fruitful Christian. And this is who you are. This is your true identity as a son of God. You are more than a conqueror. You are victorious. God calls you to be a mighty warrior. You may be ridden with fears right now, but you know Gideon, he was so fearful in the Bible. He was like hiding in a wine press, right? But the angel of the Lord came to him and said, what, what did he say? You guys know You mighty warrior. And God is looking at you and saying, you are a mighty warrior. You are more than a conqueror. And you must take a stand to fall, not fall, again into laziness and fear any longer. It's time to take a stand. No, first you have to believe in the goodness of God, that He is faithful to reward you. That when you are faithful in small things, that He will reward you. You must believe that his perfect love drives out all fear. You must believe that he is the God who is faithful to you even when you are faithless. You must know that you can be faithful in small things and in big things because he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. You know, I really believe that um, when I was praying for this message, I really... Uh, felt in my heart, and this isn't part of the script, so, uh, (laughs) felt in my heart that God really wanted you guys to know that he believes in you. You know, we say that God is a faithful God, and that means that he himself is full of faith. He himself is full of faith regarding you. When he looks at you, he doesn't look at you and say, oh man, my God, she she shouldn't get it together, man. She needs to get it together. You know, no. When God looks at you, he is full of faith about you, He believes in you, brothers and sisters. He wants you to know that when he looks at you, he knows you can complete every single assignment that he has placed in your life. It says in Hebrews 11 that through faith, and I quote, the heroes in the Bible conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched power, the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Seaside, this is the picture of our faith. Our faith is not stagnant. Our faith is not weak. Our faith is not unfruitful. Our faith is not boring or dull. Faith is dynamic. It is powerful. And as you step out in faith, as you take that risk, you know, through your faith and through your faithfulness in the small things, God's desire is that you be used mightily to build up his kingdom. Amen. Okay, that's actually the end of my sermon. Um, but I just want to give you um, a chance to respond. So if you can close your eyes. Now, whenever we do altar calls here at Seaside, there's been a lot of hesitation. And I just want to break that hesitation off of you guys right now. You know, there should be no hesitation in this time in this season, guys. This is not time to hesitate. This is time to run. This is time to claim your inheritance. This is time to put away your fears and to step forward in faith. And so this altar right now, here, this this space right now, this ground here. You know, it it looks just ordinary, but it's not. Because God has anointed this place with His Holy Spirit. And what He wants you to do right now is He wants you to step out in faith. You know, I feel like there's people here who need to know that there's someone who believes in you. That there is somebody who looks at you and says, I believe in you. You know, some of you, you never received that kind of word. Some of you, you've only been... You've only been discouraged. When you talked about your dreams, the only thing that people did was put you down. But God is here and he's saying, I believe in you. I am full of faith regarding you. And some of you, you have so many fears that have been blocking you. You see, God has always been faithful, brothers and sisters. God has always been faithful to you. He has never left you. The only thing... That is different is that your fears have been blocking you from seeing his faithfulness. And I just feel right now that, you know, it's time to put aside the fears in your life. And it's time to open your eyes. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to see his faithfulness and to see his rewards. He has rewards here in store for you. He has an inheritance here for you. And your fears will always block you from going to that place of, of really claiming that inheritance. So I just want to open up this altar right now.